Good morning, people of the internet. You are listening to Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, a podcast where we discuss the movie Gross Point Blank one minute at a time. I'm Dev. And I'm Hugh. And on today's show, we are going to be looking at minute 45 as we see just exactly what you can do wrong with a microwave in an American grocery store. (laughs) Joining us on today's show, we have... John Straw and John Straw, where can we find out more about you? Tell us all about your super exciting upcoming movies by minute <laughs> enterprise. Okay, you'll definitely well, not get no out of recording. Well, you, know, you got it. You got it out of me. Uh, so uh, I'm actually I, I owe a response to my friend who I'm hoping to wrangle into this as a co-host, uh, but. He and I have been talking for a few months about our mutual love of the David Twohey Riddick universe. And uh, so obviously, you know, we would start with the film Pitch Black uh, Mm -hmm. and then go through the various sequels and animated spinoffs. He and I were talking about how we would potentially cover the video games, which Mm -hmm. are an interesting thing in and of themselves. so yes, I, I have uh, ambitions to start recording that if we can get schedules together in, in the late spring uh, and uh, start putting out episodes over the summer. So, uh, like I like I was saying, we're in the uh, the the planning paralysis phase, and but we're I'm feeling like we're getting to the point where I might actually have to do something. So that's a little intimidating, uh, but continuing to work on that okay fantastic i'm super excited for that i love pitch black in particular yes i i just finished reading the novelization which is excellent a a very very interesting artifact because you can tell it was written uh several drafts earlier in the scripting Uh process Uh Uh right right Uh i you know that's one thing with with gross point blank i wish there had been things like novelizations and stuff like ancillary (sighs) material that we could have drawn on for this Mm because there just really isn't and it's such a shame because i I just want i want more of this world (laughs) i think that's an opportunity right there for you to write the the official novelization of gross point blank 30 years later Wow. That would not go well. <laughs> that would not go well. You can include all of those imagined sequences that you've discussed yeah. uh, on the podcast. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. I, I, I mean, think, yeah. What we're really going for is we want there to be a special edition Blu-ray remastered yes. of the film, and we want to do the commentary. <laughs> yes, I, 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 I know you've mentioned this before, and I was doing some research. I, I was reading some reviews of the different releases of gross point blank and yes uh someone i think it was on dvd talk they referenced oh i remember the, dvd talk yeah they they referenced the cable guy as a similar film from the 90s that got a full featured special edition release with uh audio commentaries and behind the scenes features and new interviews conducted with the cast uh and i i Maybe the, I'd have to look at the numbers. Maybe the cable guy was a little bit bigger of a hit than Gross Point Blank at the time, but it's I yeah I think they have some shared DNA of you know the films that were really big and or at least significant to me in the mid '90s, but mm-hmm. nobody really talks about the cable guy anymore. Uh, as and it's you know similar to Gross Point Blank, a great film to revisit. 
Yeah, I think they're both films that really hit it off in the rental yes. market, right? Yeah. So, so the big difference is is, is studios. Yeah, so yeah. the thing about Gross Point Blank is it's gotten lost in the mix of stuff that has ended up under Disney's name currently. Yep. And as we know, until very recently, Disney was pulling out of the physical media game. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. they are now moving back in and... Uh, this is a film that they obviously have a, a, a decent master for for Disney mm-hmm. Plus streaming. So there is the potential out there for something to be done. It's just a question of whether anyone, any of the number crunches, run the numbers and see, you know, benefit to this one. I mean, personally, I think this film deserves it. I think it needs it. I think it's a cult film, but that's exactly the sort of thing that sells these days. Yeah. boutique labels but the, the the thing is this is kind of every boutique label i know has no almost no pull whatsoever to get anything out of the disney machine yes Either yeah, disney i think themselves what, or... what we really need is john cusack to be courted for a marvel role precisely and, and you have he, nailed it and then once he has the in with disney he can use his influence to get some of his back catalog uh, better developed. I think I think he said fairly publicly that he will never be seen in Spandex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, he won't do Marvel. But the thing is, yeah. I can see him doing. I mean, a yeah, mad scientist role, but he would make a good villain. Oh, you know what? I'd love that. I would yes. love that. And, and he has. He's played a lot of villains in the past, you know, ten, fifteen yeah. years in his yeah. in terms of you know, kind direct of to video style. days. Yeah. yeah. But he would he would I, fit very nicely into either the Doctor Strange universe of Marvel, right? I can see him doing something like that, or switch it up completely, and you know have those spook vibes that he has, you know, have him brought in like I don't know, got to make Thunderbolts and or whether or not Florence mm-hmm, Pugh gets mm-hmm. her own Black Widow film. But the point is, I can see him slotting nicely into that universe. Uh, yeah. I mean, he would have been a really good like like if they hadn't cast Stanley Stanley Tucci, he would have been really good in Captain America. Yeah, you know that scientist role is you can because there's something about Cusack that for we all know which period he's from, but he actually, to my way of thinking, does quite well as in period drama. Like maybe it's just because I've seen him do westerns, and I think he's good in westerns. Yeah, but, I, um, I tried I tried watching The Raven earlier this week, mm-hmm. uh, it, and. It a, it's an interesting acting choice. He he played as Edgar Allan Poe, very yeah. over the top uh, to you know show his character quirks. Uh, so mm. it, I don't I wouldn't say it was necessarily out of place in the period drama, but you know John Cusack's performance was in a different place than all the other actors in the film. Yeah, it's it's also an odd casting choice, knowing knowing Edgar Allan Poe's character. Yes, <laughs> John Cusack of all people play this weird, round-headed, chinless yeah guy that yeah. has no presence at it's, all. They're not pl- they're not casting him to be the guy that Poe. They're casting him because everybody from the nineties goes, "Hey, Cusack's the goth <laughs> Gen X." Right? Yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you know, not to take it too far afield from the minute, but I, I think that John Cusack you know is still has a renaissance you know ahead of him you know he makes films like love and mercy that you know where he just shows a phenomenal acting performance and Mm. i i think if he you know we've seen him in this film and in high fidelity he has a great deal of skill as a writer and if he gets that right 
combination of you know funding and collaborators where he can take a project that he's really passionate about because i think you know as much as it's fun to dream about him being you know playing a villain or something in the marvel universe like you said john cusack as an actor has a strong vision for what his career should be and it's i don't think a franchise role is that yeah, yeah, that's true. true. I mean, you know, the thing we we would love, as we've said before in other episodes, is we want a proper sequel to this film. Yes. And he, doing yeah. the older, the yeah. older hit guy now, yeah. and with Mini Driver still around, still great, yeah. still go. You know, it would yeah. be it would be fun to see what's happened to the two of them. Put it in um, the John Wick universe. Uh, I mean, yeah, we know, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. We know in, that in that vein, we know in, Martin. I, I know likes to kill dogs. No, <laughs> that was an accident. <laughs> you killed one dog. <laughs> I know. I know. Keanu Reeves is now all in on the John Wick side. I would love to see a reboot of Constantine with Cusack as Constantine. Oh, I yeah, he looked the part. He looked the part. Yes, yeah, so he, he, he. I think he has a skill for the noirish uh, roles. Mm-hmm. You know, it, like, even uh, even maybe the Punisher. Ooh, could mm. work. Interesting. interesting. He's not quite toned enough for the Punisher, maybe, but when he was younger, he would have made a very good um, uh, Sandman. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I I think of one yeah. one of my favorite. It's a DC comic, The Human Target. Uh, yeah, I was right. So you were that. thinking that kind of well, yeah, the Milligan version as well would be good because the TV yeah. series The Human Target had almost nothing no. to do with the comic book. Fun though it was, but, but it had nothing to do with it. Yeah, but but you know, I think that shares some DNA with something like Gross Point Blank, where it's yes. a character who's who's charming, you know, who engages in the action, but mm. it's really about you know using uh, their you know their wits in order to put themselves in a situation where they're intended to be the target of an assassination, and they have to yeah. get out of it. Yeah, yeah, he would have been very good as a, a human target if, because yeah, if they'd stuck to the, the the way the comic book does it, that would have been quite nifty. Oh, yeah. God, I could, oh, that's there's an alternative universe project yeah. I wish I'd seen. Oh. Well, that's also a TV show that needs a new. Uh, yes, that, if if you haven't read the the most recent, I think it's the Tom King uh, Human Target. It's a fantastic yeah, no, I haven't read King's noir story. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I must. I, I confess to being to not. Basically, when we there's a certain generation beyond which I don't think I've read anything from any of the big publishers. Like my taste kind of goes to a certain point and goes. But um, I am occasionally dipping the toe in the water with some of the more uh, recent guys, not least because that I was telling you earlier about um, uh, off camera about one of my friends who's the animation producer, the person he was working with. Uh, it's one of the two Toms uh who's made it big so that's kind of persuaded me to go back and read stuff but i think my favorite dc era was the 80s you know the question yeah dennis cowan and denny o'neill that is my that's yes. my completely one of my all-time favorite series um and there, there's a guy again who i would love to see a a you know well even if we go for the, the for, for Rene montoya's version but the question is a hero who i think deserves a tv show and again i could see yeah, you know, because he's a trench coat guy. You know, you can see Cusack mm-hmm. carrying off that whole Vic Sage journalist thing. I yes. guess Cusack could make could have again. It would have been when he was a little bit younger to be able to do the fight scenes. But um, you know, still so, still a great actor. 
so so in this minute, you know, I think that one of the things that I had never noticed before, and it ties into what we're talking about, is there's a video store connected to the Ultimart. Uh, yes, that I never noticed until I did a I freeze framed as John Cusack and Carl are running away, and that I was trying to make out what film posters they're advertising, but I, I can't uh... quite make them out. Yeah, I've and tried. We've, I've tried looking for those before, and I have never quite caught it. Yeah, I, I I was wondering if it was a deep cut, like if that's uh, one crazy summer or something like that. Uh, but but it, they don't quite look like that. Um, right, but I have to say this this minute has the Carl's line at the end where John Cusack asks him if he's okay is one of my favorite lines in the film. Uh, you know, I'm hurt. I'm pissed. I've got to find a new job. <laughs> it's, it's one of the one of the best bits of the entire film. It it just grounds that moment, but it's still funny. <laughs> I I love that it's got the traditional like leaping because there's an explosion behind you se- sequence, and then immediately goes to this whole section that you never have after an explosion. Yes, of John Cusack yeah. just casually lying there watching everything burn, oh, and yeah, this kid cool. like not like you know screaming about his ears ringing and his eardrums being burst or like something impaled it some limb or something but just like immediately back to the practicalities like yeah it's it it there are moments in this film where the the tropes that they're playing to uh it undermines them intentionally and and that's one of them that i I just Mm. it's it's very very nicely done for me i i think it's interesting too because we get that that very quick shot of the government agents watching the ultimart blow up and whoa and, and it's fascinating to me, you know, maybe it's, you know, the the culture of the times, but it seems like in a modern, a contemporary context, if they're looking for an excuse to sh- to kill Martin Blank, him running away from an exploding convenience store seems to be all the excuse that they would need. Uh, and they, they shouldn't have to get any other pretext to, to confront mm. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or to say nothing of the fact that there is this gunfight that, you know, apparently the government agents didn't notice uh, uh, during that just immediately prior to this. Well, yeah, I mean these two government agents. I mean, really, it's just like <laughs> the classic. Let's just sit there and see what happens. Oh, look, our job's done for us. Take put a tick in the file. Let's go get yes. coffee. You know, yeah, uh, they're those kind of guys. Um, and and but it, yeah, it, this is the whole point of the parody, isn't it? There's, like this minute begins with him running, having seen what's in the microwave. And it's that bit yeah. where they allow him to stare at the microwave for way longer than a professional <laughs> killer should. Just to, like, there's a moment of fascination. Like, he's like, oh, look at that. And you kind of think, is he fascinated professionally? Is he thinking, huh, that was going to pay. So if you eat this that much, it'll take this long to, and then, oh, I've got to run. Or is it just him going, I could die now. Finally, I've been waiting for this. Yes. Oh wait, I got David. You know, like, like there's so many ways you can take that moment, and it's such a gorgeous, gorgeous moment. Um, yeah. But you then also have this whole business of, um, as you say, you know, the insanity of it afterwards. When we're out there, and, and it's like we go from action movie to comedy to to social realism for a minute to, yeah. you know, comedic value of the uh, the spooks. It's just such a 
But again, wonderful, wonderful tonal shifts. They've happened so fast. Yeah. And, and it's it's interesting to me that there's no moment in the film, and this could have been a moment where Martin confronts his own mortality. Like, you know, he nearly died multiple times mm. in the last 60 seconds. Mm. Uh, but him him confronting his mortality is not an aspect of this story. You know, he... He doesn't sure. repent or reform himself because he, you know, he is worried about dying. That he never, he never seems to have any concern about that at all. Like, you know, he reconnects with Debbie because he likes Debbie, not, you know, not because he's trying to necessarily get out of the assassin game. And I, I think it's yeah. interesting that he's there yeah. contemplating the explosion, but it, it doesn't phase him in any way. Yeah. It's, it's some kind of purely artistic expression of the flames and, and yeah. the composition and yes it's, it's not it's, yeah it's like in uh in rogue one when uh ben mendelson looks at the the death star destroying the planet and it says like my god it's beautiful yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. it's exactly that it's it, it's another zen aspect of gross point blank so I one other thing that I noticed on rewatching this minute over and over and over again is the uh the way the music's cut. So yeah. obviously this mm. is um Motorhead's Ace of Spades. Mm. Um and it's we've we saw it in the previous minutes as as kind of noise pollution from this kid's headphones. And it stays as that right up until you cut outside the store. And it's like it's being played from speakers in front of the store yes. kind of like mm -hmm. debbie's radio broadcast mm -hmm. and then once it started doing that even when you briefly cut back inside again it's still playing at full volume yes mm. it, and it it's like a earlier with the guns and roses when he goes to the altamart the first time it's <clears> an <throat> interesting it is it is it transitioning from diegetic music to non-diegetic music as he exits the store mm -hmm. uh and you know maybe that's also why Carl doesn't mention his eardrums being blown out because he he's already functionally deaf uh, because he was listening to Motorhead at such a high volume. <laughs> that could well be. That could well be. Oh dear! Again, another trope from TV tropes is the uh, no, can, you know, uh, perfect cancellation by headphones. <laughs> yes, in yeah. a pre-era, in an era when headphones didn't cancel, you somehow do not hear <laughs> anything outside. Uh, but also, Ace of Spades. I mean, it's just the uh, there is something about that whole '80s action genre that's being parodied here. That combination of Big hair, heavy metal. Obviously, not Motorhead. That's different. That's you know, we 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 respect Lemmy in this household, right? <laughs> uh, for all kinds of reasons. Um, but there is something about the way the big gym gymnasium style muscled guys took over from the realistic guys in the seventies. The the guys who understood that you didn't need to go to the gym to be tough, and then you get these 80s guys making these big-ass, over-the-top action movies in which loud guitars are also a part of how the movies are sold and the, the way heavy metal grows and the macho-ness of what, frankly, looking back on it, is ludicrously homoerotic. And you're like, when was this ever manly? <laughs> you know? you like, like, really? How did we not see this? Um, and there's something about that being you know, nicely tuned here with the kind of use mm -hmm. of a, one of the best ever hard rock tracks ever. And just 
we know that it's over the top. We know it's silly. And that's the point. That's why that track is with that scene. Um, and I also don't think you can ever do... I don't think I've seen a grocery store shootout since then. And I think that's ju- right. I feel like Gross Point Bank killed it for everyone. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I it, I think it was also pretty dead even before this. Yeah, right? like it, <laughs> the, pretty much. Maybe Steven Seagal killed it, and, and yes, all that all that's left yeah. is to parody it, uh, to send yeah. it up. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that Gross Point Blank pulls it off just because it's unapologetic about pulling all yes. these tropes in. It's it's very self aware in the way it does it. It's not trying to do anything other than have fun with the, with all of these tropes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's. I mean, here's the thing. Half of what makes this fun is that they've cast the kind of guy who would be in an proper action movie, along with Cusack doing exactly what you should do in this film and doing it well. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like he he gives Charion Fat a run for his money here, right? And yes. that is the thing. You know, it it needs to be taken seriously, to be seen, to be funny. And I think that's kind of how it works. I mean, it definitely does a lot of the John Woo stuff, right? Like it's, Mm. it's, it's, it's martial arts action with guns in, in a complete counterpoint to what you see in American action movies, which is much more of the grosser wet work approach to action films. I've I've just remembered the 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 film that killed the the grocery store shootout for me, which funny enough comes out when Seagal's making his, and that's Loaded Weapon One, National Anthem, oh. Loaded Weapon One. <laughs> it's such a great one. And Wait. that's ninety two, so uh, ninety three, sorry, ninety three, so four yeah. years before this. But that that shootout is hysterical. Yes, yeah, it's very good. yeah that seems of a piece with this shootout. You know, the, this one is. You know the like the only thing we're missing is you know Martin you know grabbing a snack you know while he's running out of the store or something along mm. those lines you know that's yeah he already has his gum <laughs> I suppose yeah and 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 the other thing we're missing is that because this is where it is pure parody is the bit in Loaded Weapon One where Estevez is shooting and he steps out from behind to shoot and you re- and then the bad guy steps out next to him to shoot down the same way yes. and then they realize they're like oh. Like that Which, would be, just, you know. I guess that that happens later uh, with Grocer at the very end. Uh, like, yeah, kind of. Same scene. Actually, that is point. kind of there. That's true. Actually, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, they definitely definitely have fun with the overtop elements of all of this and the way it's done. Uh, I, I think, and, you know. Yeah. Do you, Do you think Do you think Martin feels catharsis with the fact that the Ultimar that was built on top of his house is destroyed or does yes. that just amplify his his existential crisis no i think he's enjoying it i think that's exactly yeah. why he's lying there on the grass in the sun going yeah look at that i think he's genuinely yeah. loving the fact that it has gone up in flames yeah, yeah. he's coming okay. down off the high or as, as 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 hannibal would have said the jazz you know he's coming down and he's like huh isn't that pretty it's gone. It's gone up in smoke. It's burning. <laughs> the fact that that's in normal, in, in regular speed, and then you cut to mm-hmm. the explosion and there's bits of slow motion used, you know, to yeah. enhance yeah. the beauty. I mean, that's definitely, yeah, I don't think he's having a crisis. I think he's loving it. And, and we get, you know, one more time with sort of his catchphrase, you know, it's not me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never him. Never yeah. him. <laughs> it's not him. No, of course not, dude. 
It's not personal, Carl. No, exactly. It's never personal. Why would it be personal? I just stuck a weapon in your face and shot you. Why would that be personal? Oh, there's, that, there's a gun culture commentary right in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. But yeah. That, and and so this minute ends and this sequence ends. And uh, thank you, John, for being with us all this week on this wonderful moment in the film because it is still so much fun. Yes, it's been a great great selection of minutes. I feel like you know this five minutes you get Jeremy Piven, you get Joan Cusack, you get Benny Orquides, you get some great action. Uh, it's a really uh, encapsulates all the things that are great about this film. You know, e- even the soundtrack. You know, like the, we got some good Motorhead. I'd say for me, this one of the things I, I always remember about this film is you know this in- introduced me to some bands that I you know, went on to become big fans of like the violent Femmes, for mm, example, great band. Mm, uh, yeah. you know, and, you know, as a, as a, a kid growing up, you know, and being somewhat sheltered, you know, those movie soundtracks were like a great mixtape uh, that introduced me to a, a whole bunch of stuff I wouldn't have heard otherwise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's really hard for me to look at, uh, pre nineties soundtracks, well, not even that. Let's go back to Beverly Hills Cop again, which we mentioned in a previous episode. Yeah, there is a point from Beverly Hills Cop onwards where the art of the 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 song based soundtrack compared to the score just rapidly shot up and ascended in the quality and the way it was put together, rather than just being a let's sell this stuff for the label because the music label wants to. To, to, to piggyback off the, the movie it becomes a, th- a thing of its own and so much, so many of my favourite albums over the years have been these soundtracks <laughs> right? Like like I have re-bought the Crow soundtrack so often because oh, it boy. has been people borrow oh, yeah. it from me and never give it back, right? Like that, Watchmen in paperback and what's the other thing? There's like a film as well where I've given them away and people never give them back and I always have to get them. And I'm like, and I'm happy for them to have it. But like 90s, man, like everyone was trying to be Tarantino and yet everybody kind of did something different and better sometimes yeah. when they tried hard enough. Yeah. You know, Gross Point Blank works beautifully. Yes. Uh, High Fidelity, okay, we're into the 2000s, but that is a 90s soundtrack. That's perfect. Go yeah. has a brilliant soundtrack. Yeah. Um, you know, just just so many good, good combinations of bands and sounds and songs, and always a blend, always a kind of sense of this is mm-hmm. what's now, mm-hmm. this is what we used to listen to, this is what is coming in that we think is going to be cool. You know, singles. You know, literally that album comes out before before grunge kicks off big. Yeah, everybody yeah. on that album goes huge, barring two bands, I think. Yeah. And, you know, but it's a perfect album. It's a perfect encapsulation of Seattle in 92. And it's just, yeah, nobody, there's nothing like that. There wasn't anything like that before those films. And I don't think anybody does it as well since. Maybe Barbie last year. I don't know. Mm, Maybe. Mm, good soundtrack. Barbie, no. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that soundtrack understood what it was putting together, how and why. Um, but yeah, it's been a while since I've bought a soundtrack and gone, oh yeah, this is it. This is how it works. There's an art. Yeah. There's an art there, guys. You you all got to go back to school and learn how to do it again. Ask Nelson. Yep. Call Nelson up and tell her. Tell her you, we could, <laughs> we sent you guys. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. She, I mean, Kathy Nelson is responsible for quite a few of these, right? So. Well, that was the thing. When we looked up yeah. what she did, like yeah. the majority of the great 90s ones she's involved with. Yeah. Um, and I think it also has to do with directors who shot music video, who understand music. You know, uh, Aust- Australian Greek, uh, Alex Proyas, you know, for The Crow. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Andrew Fleming for uh, um, The Craft uh, and Threesome and, and all those kind of films. And, um, oh, what's the name of the guy who directed uh, Heather's He? What was his name? Because he went on to do Truth About Cats and Dogs, which is a great little film from this time period. Really mm-hmm. underrated, terrific soundtrack. Uh, Mystery Men, you know? Yeah. It's just, oh, man, what a time period. <laughs> All right. And with that, this was Minute 45 of the Gross Point Blank Podcast, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, featuring your hosts, co writers, co producers, Dev Sonagar and Hugh David. Today's guest, as he has been all this week, is John Straw. John, where can we find more about you? Uh, I'd say, yo, look me up on Discord, Star Wars Minute servers, and iFlamboy servers. But I also, I'm on Letterboxd under Johnny Flash. You can read uh, little capsule reviews, uh, something I do to keep, keep myself you know, creatively engaged uh, as a, so my day job doesn't just overwhelm me <laughs> every day. Mm-hmm. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Uh, you can find us on all good podcast players as well as on YouTube if you want to watch us. Uh, we also have an X, aka Twitter account and a Spotify at Debbie Radio for all of those and on our website debbyradio.com and for all of those it is Debbie spelt D-E-B-I and finally if you want to actually come and chat with us find the Facebook listeners group Debbie Radio 79.5 FM fan club once more and finally that is D-E-B-I Radio sure was clear that all of this was new concentrating hard like a little girl smoking for the first time it wasn't